0: Lindani is a youth and leadership advocate, writer, speaker, and creative. At the core of his work, he highlights the importance of leadership and purpose in life. He is a firm believer in using his voice and abilities as a catalyst that ignites actions in others. Being a part of the UK's Police Now organization allows him to play an influential role in the development of police officers and their purpose in various regions of the UK. Lindani uses his voice, ability, and creative eye to uplift and bring awareness to issues affecting his culture and the African content. This week we have Lindani. He's a leadership coach and a poet from England. What part of England are you from?
1: Uh, Well, I wasn't born here, but I'm based in London. So I was born in Gambia, West Africa.
0: Oh, thank you so much for being here. I'm excited about this interview. Pleasure,
1: pleasure. It's going to be a good one. Thank you.
0: I found you because I saw that you did poetry as well. And then to do leadership, I found that I don't know too many people that mix those two together. (laughs) (laughs) And I did see that it's Lindani the Catalyst. Why the Catalyst?
1: For a very long time, I have struggled to put myself in a box. I think that although titles help with clarity, they also can put you in a box. So for a very long time, I didn't even call myself a poet. I just called myself Lindani, and this is one of the art forms that I do, but it doesn't really have the traditional roles or, or rules of poetry, rather. But it was my way of expression, and it could come out poetic. The catalyst for me sums up who I am as a person, as someone who's a a motivator, someone that will inspire, somebody who uses art forms such as poems or words in that way, Um, somebody who's involved in youth youth activism. It's like a collection of so many things. And most importantly, my poems, I want it to make people think. I want it to ignite the conversations that are necessary for transformation. So I think the best thing to do is just call myself a catalyst. A bit of a troublemaker in the way, but in a good way.
0: No, I think that's amazing because when you go through an art form, I think you do make a better impact. I think it's more inclusive of people, no matter what their beliefs are, if you do it through art. So you're going to read a poem for us Yeah,
1: say. Yeah, I'm going to read a poem.
0: What is the name of the poem?
1: So the poem is called The um, The Shadow Leads. And it's a poem that um, I wrote for International Women's Day. I wrote this poem because I wanted to, I was really thinking about leadership, leadership in the context of women, but also leadership in terms of socially assigned roles. How, where does that position women in society, particularly where I was growing up in the Gambia? you see. So I had all of these thoughts happening. And so I wrote this poem, which was intended to break down leadership into more than a title, more than a position more than some sort of a official recognition, but more more of how someone is, a state of mind, a state of being, so yeah. So the poem is titled The Shadow Leads. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, (laughs) yes, I'm excited about this. So it goes like this. The narrative is a long robe. Doctors, scientists, innovators, mothers, fate healers, defiers of the odds. Inside our minds is the conceiving of our greatest imaginations. Inside our imaginations is the power to become, to find confidence, belief, and hope. The possibilities our eyes can't see or feel sits down like an oak tree, shading across a landmass rich in resource. That oak tree breeds through its leaves and branches to give life to even those lives that walk miles away from its shadows. That is the power residing inside our unwaken giants. How many times has history kept you informed and inspired? The few who remain hopeful of now will create the brightness we seek tomorrow. Those who remain in fear shall be on the other, on the other side of history We will fail to remember. In difficulties, we find peace. Peace through a journey of radical transparency. Our victories will open for the world to see. In dark alleys, our allies will rise with a torch, not without the dangers of marginalization but in recognition of a generation needed to keep the essence of the world alive. 70% of entrepreneurs in Africa are women. Without the titles of power, they build homes, market, set trends, feed many, even men. Leadership reminds us that our love is imperfect, but it is in imperfections we remind ourselves to be better, to grow like a seed covered in mud, but rich in potential. In our power of position, we welcome conversations necessary for growth. Our hope is not from the pain that scratches our deepest endeavours. It is in the certainty of the future we sing to. A leader is a contractual agreement, S H I P, S S standing for sympathy, feeling the pain of others even in our privilege to have a voice, H standing for hope, giving hope to those who are carrying a weight beyond the breadth of their shoulders. I standing for inspiration, inspiring those who look up to our faith not in the obvious realities of the moment, but in the belief that we can create a fruitful future. MP standing for persistence, a spirit of not giving up, but dancing to songs only you can hear and feel, consistency in knowing that others will see the light. It is in the shadows that we lead. It is in the shadows of actions that relationships work, governments transform, men listen, children are heard, women are felt, Leadership is the upliftment of those unable but wanting. Leadership is in the power it exerts in others, not in the force of its position, but by the positions it forms for others. Leadership is in the grounding of active listening, of vulnerability to the truth, even if it feels sensitive. Leaders are the dust in the sand. They don't always stand tall, but they are wide enough to be felt. That's the point.
0: Oh, wow. That is beautiful. I, can, I, I was visualizing it. I kept seeing the women working, but I was really surprised that 70% of the women. Wow, that's a big number. That's a very big number because it's a very patriarchal society, right? Yeah,
1: very, very. When you think about it, the whole idea of the point was to reflect on women building markets, but also building homes. So when I think about it, growing up in the Gambia, if I'm walking down from school, or if I'm in, even if I'm in school, it's the women that are selling things for the for the kids or students to buy, and then it's the woman also having the child, uh, you know, on the back. It's the woman going home to cook and clean. So almost to an extent, it seems like the woman is doing everything, right? But yeah. but the traditional notion of leadership, which is title, which is who in who is in the front, ignores the reality mm-hmm. that the leaders are actually the ones without the titles. So now, how do we change this notion of leadership as title so that we can now empower and recognize that there are many people, i.e. women, in this situation, who are actually the real leaders, the real doers, but we don't recognize them because we don't give them the title that we give to others? That was all right at the point.
0: No, and I've seen where I've interviewed some people and they said, "Oh, I was introduced as just the housewife." Wow. Just the housewife, obviously, they're divorced. But just the housewife, you you mentioned everything that is expected. Wow. And that is quite a lot that is expected. Yeah. And I'm glad it's changing. And I find that men nowadays are being more sensitive to the actual work that it takes to run a home and to raise children and to put food on the table. Yeah. You're doing an album. Yeah. Is the album called African Liberation? No, it's
1: actually called Voices of Victory. But it's going to be released released on the 25th, which happens to be African Liberation Day
0: of May, the 25th of May. Of May. Yeah. Okay. Now, is this poem going to be read on the album? No. So this
1: poem actually is not on the album.
0: I want to read. I want a copy of that. I have. The- <laughs> it's a beautiful. Thank poem. you
1: so much. I actually have a video of this poem. I actually released it on. It's on YouTube. I released it on this uh, International Women's Day that just went by. Uh, it's on uh-huh. YouTube, so I'll, I'll get it sent to you later on. But it, it's already out there. I have the video. I shot the video, and like you were saying, funnily enough, you were saying you can just picture the women in the market and things like that. I actually have all of that in the video as well, so it'll be quite exciting for you to watch it for sure. You
0: no, know, I would love to see it, and I'll also put a link in the notes so people can check oh, it out you. because it it's real nice to see a visual of what you just read, because I, as you were reading it, I was picturing women doing this and what's going on. And I pictured Africa. It was, it was very visual for Mm me. I saw each step along the way, as you spoke about it. What's on this album that's coming up?
1: So this album has this album, really, I wrote it for me. It was, it was a healing process for me. It was a reflective process for me in terms of my upbringing, my relationship with my mother. My mother passed when I was 10, so I I, I really I don't know much about her, but I remember her. And I remember well enough to know some of the wisdom she left behind for me to pick on, but also the wisdom that she impacted on me growing up as a child, right? And this album reflected that. And for me, Voices of Victory was, was me saying that I am my mother's voice of victory.
0: So if you look at the, the art cover, for example, it has affirmations on them, above and breed and things of that nature,
1: Stay above the noise. Yeah, the whole idea of the album or the poetry collective was something that would elevate others because I was using it to elevate me.
0: This album, is it like an EP or a full-length album?
1: It's, a. It's. A, I mean, to be fair, I didn't even know. This is why we use the word catalyst again. I didn't even know what to call it. What's it was called, an album or a poetry collective? I just call it a poetry collective and sometimes I call it a poetry album because I don't even know what to call it. But I know when people hear it, I know, like, love when people hear it. When people feel it, they'll know what it is. You know what I mean?
0: Yes. I'm I'm very anxious to hear it. <laughs> and it releases on May 25th, yeah, huh? Yeah. I would love to hear it. And I would also put a, a link later on so people can uh, find Thank it. Thank you. I do want to know, how did you, you were a leadership first and then went into poetry. Was poetry something you've always written? How do they mesh together.
1: I started poetry first because poetry was my way of speaking to speaking to myself and engaging with my thoughts without any judgment. So that so so that came first. I became interested in leadership years later. You know, I mean leadership is quite new to me in terms of me focusing on it and studying it. It's been like three, four years. But my obsession with leadership really is about becoming a better person. Because leadership really is about how do you add value to your environment? How do you add value to the podcast world? How do you add value in that interview? How do you add value as a sister, as a mother, as a friend, as a driver on the road, as a police officer? How do you add value? That's what leadership is to me. Anytime we take the initiative to add value, that is leadership to me, right? So, um, and that's what I, that's the life I want to live. So, and I really wanted to redefine this notion of leadership where, Growing up in Africa, where just because somebody is older or somebody is a politician or somebody is in the government, they feel they're entitled and that they're leaders. But leadership doesn't mean being in position. It means the position you create for others. And to create position for other people, you have you have to have a mindset. You have to have a growth mindset. You have to have an enabling mindset. You have to have a supportive mindset, an empowering mindset. It's a whole different story completely.
0: I started writing poetry for the same reason. It was where you could write your thoughts and not have judgment. Yeah. You could throw it in a drawer and never have anybody read it, but it puts your thoughts and your feelings on paper or on the computer, and then it's out of your system. And if you want to fix it later or edit it later for others to see, then it's great. But I like the fact that you go into leadership with that. You have to come whole to the leadership. How can you influence others? If you're not there yourself, so can you give us an example of something you do so that we can understand? Let's say you're with someone you work with in terms of leadership. So let's say, for
1: example, if I have a conversation with, let's say I work with police officers, and I have a conversation, they come to me around, you know, they uh, they have young people around them or in this neighborhood that they're dealing with, and the usual approach is the police approach. I'm just saying that for the sake of this conversation, where it's like. It's more reactive, Is more, we'll catch you doing something so we can punish you and we can we can prove that you've broken the law. My discussion of leadership is, how can you be more proactive? How can you go into that neighborhood, not really looking for crime, but looking to prevent it from happening? How do you go into that neighborhood and build a relationship and trust with that young person? I have a police officer that I spoke to one time, And they went out of their way to talk to this young person who was kicked out of school. The parents didn't really care much. And she made the effort to get this young person back into school. That's leadership.
0: And you don't forget about people like that. Because I grew up in a rough neighborhood. It was more poor than it was rough. But you did have those kids that didn't have a direction. The parents had too many kids. Or even if they only had a few, they worked all the time because it was the working poor just to make, put food on the table. And so I don't know if it's the era I came from, but we were left alone quite a bit because our parents were always working. We were like latchkey kids. I don't know if that term is used there, but is this what basically they're working with? They're working with kids in a a tougher neighborhood and you're trying to make them understand? So They're working with different
1: things, but that was just one example. My motivation for getting into leadership, particularly with police officers and things of that nature is because I understand the power they have. A young person said to me one time, I was doing a presentation and I reached out to a few young people because I used to work for a youth organization. So I have access to a few young people. And I said to them, what would you like me to tell a police officer? And they said to me that one of them in particular said to me, tell them to listen and also tell them that although they have the power to turn someone into a criminal, right? Mm -hmm. they also have the power to empower someone with a voice because they might be the only voice of encouragement that a particular young person would ever hear and I tell I have this conversation with police officers all the time I share the same thing with them all the time I say there's a young person out there that's counting on you to be a voice of empowerment not a voice to say hey get on the floor put your hands on the back but a voice to say young man or young girl you can do better you can start this program. Maybe you should check that course out. Maybe you should go into that college. They have a good program. You know, I know someone who does this. Maybe you can work with them. You, you see what I mean? So the, the notion yes. of policing is like, almost like go and catch the teeth. It's not like go and empower the kid. So the kid doesn't become a thief. Do you see what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah.
0: I had someone that works with the incarcerated. Mm-hmm which I mentioned before, he's working with them after they're damaged. Yeah. But it was one of the things, just like this kid that told you, they said, I wish I had encouragement. I can see how that works together. I can see how one of the things they said, they wish you could do encouragement. And here you're in the forefront, which is great because you can prevent them from being incarcerated. Yeah. So do you still work with the youth? Are you only working with the police department? I am mainly working
1: with the police department, but I have young people that I mentor and this charity that I used to work for, I still go back and do stuff with them. So I did did a few, I did a motivational talk with them a couple of weeks ago. And even from that talk, a young person reached out to me yesterday and I was guiding them through a coaching session because they want to become a a coach. Um, So I still do that, but you're very right. I think that the conversations need to happen on both sides. Most of the times, a lot of young people become what they are because that's all they've seen. Right. Right. And
0: the gangs get involved when they see you need, get you in because they create a family for you if you don't have a family. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So this is the thing, right? It's a very, like you said, it's very simple. It's just basic survival. If you're a young person, you would want, if you're a human being, you will want to feel protected and want to. you will want to feel loved. You will, make, you will want to make sure that you're not hungry or starving or thirsty. That's just standard. That just, that's just being a human being. When society does not get involved and meet those needs, or at least show ways where that individual can meet those needs, that person biologically has the responsibility, just from a survival standpoint, to meet those needs. That's just what it is. So you, you will have the bad influence that will come around to meet those needs. I think it's problematic when young people get involved in certain lifestyles and we criminalize them and punish them for going after their own needs, right?
0: My neighborhood was poor. And so we had the philosophy that if you owned a house, you were rich. And that is so not true. Yeah. If you have property, then that property, then, hey, you, you're, you've got it made, but... That's how the philosophy is when you're so poor. Yeah. Like you said, you're doing you're working in survival. You know, just to have a meal is a great thing. Yeah. But then you take the meal and anything above that is like luxury yeah. or prestige. And people need to understand that you're just starving and you want opportunities yeah. because I find a lot of people they want the opportunity. They want to prove that they have. They want to feel good about themselves. Yeah. But the opportunities are not there. So how are they supposed to, when they get into gangs or they get into stealing or they get into any of like that kind of stuff, then they feel empowered because now they get to eat. Too. Yeah,
1: now they get to eat and now they have some sort of um, relevance. They have, a, they have a sense of being. And yeah. to take that away is to take away their sense of being. The only time you can take that away is when you can replace that sense of being with a different sense of being that is supreme to that sense of being. Yes. So if I go to school and young people want a nice house, they want a nice car, they want, they want to live good, or they might think a nice house or a car or a chain is, a, is what living good is. I can't go in there and tell them, oh, that's just a flash life, you know, that doesn't mean much material, it's not anything. I need to go in there and tell them that there are other ways, you, there are ways, it's okay to aspire to these things, and these are the options and these are other the ways you can get there. What we do as societies is tell them, that stuff don't last, it's just material stuff. and But they want it anyways. But if the only way they know how to get it is through violence and crime and drugs, then they will do that because that's what the option there. But when you go and have the discussion, I think it's changing now because young people are become, becoming more aware. They know they can invest in stocks and they can do certain things. I think that the dynamics is definitely changing for sure. We have to create those options. We have to make those options available.
0: Yes, I'm guilty of that too. I remember being in the neighborhood. I wanted everything. I wanted nice shoes. I wanted nice clothes and, you know, live in a pretty house. And it's just something that you want much more than you actually need because there's such an emptiness there.
1: Yeah, the thing about it is emptiness can be problematic because usually with emptiness, you don't even know what, what the empty is, but you fill the gap. And because you don't know.
0: But you think material things are going to fill the gap.
1: So what you have with young people, you will have a bad influence come around to fill that gap.
0: But I think that having someone of authority, like a police officer, having someone of authority like that or a teacher or anyone like that, that takes interest in you. It's amazing how a little thing one teacher says can make a difference in your life. When I was a little kid, I didn't know how to speak oh, English. Wow. My parents. Yeah, they came from Puerto Rico, which are Americans anyway, for people out there that don't know that. And they came into the mainland. They went to Chicago. I was born and raised in Chicago, so I didn't learn how to speak English till I was oh, seven. Wow. Yeah, I understood it, but I couldn't yeah. speak it. And it was why I still remember my teacher. Her name was Mrs. Myers. She put me in speech classes because when I was a kid, there was no such thing as English as a second language there. It just didn't exist. There was a thing called speech class and I was put in there and I did really well in school after I learned how to speak. They probably regretted it because I wouldn't shut up. But you do feel it. I remember her. She helped me. And I think kids need that. They need someone to believe in them to tell them they're okay
1: everybody has that teacher most people I've spoken to that are really doing well and and really pushing themselves can tell you about that one teacher that mister or that missus that miss or that star, whatever the case yes. is it's the same thing with me I had a, um, a lady called Yvonne Wallace she was my sociology teacher she empowered my creative thinking um, in fact Two, two of the first poems I wrote, I shared it with her. She printed them and pasted them on the wall in the classroom. For for a young person seeing that, that's very empowering. It is. Yeah. So she, so we all have, we all need that one person. We all need that one person that would be a voice. But what she did there, that's leadership, right? She might not even be aware of the impact she had. She started this whole journey. She really influenced that journey of who I am today.
0: It's amazing how, and it could be something that took two seconds yeah. to say. And it makes such an impact. But the same thing happens when you hear a negative one, too, because that one repeats and repeats and repeats. I think children nowadays are more intuned. I find they're smarter if we gear them the correct Mm. way. I am really interested, since I covered the incarcerated, I would really like to talk about how you work with police officers and hear their viewpoint and what. They work on now. Granted, you are in London. You're working with uh, London police, which is a little different, I think, from U.S. police. But I think the philosophy is basically the same. I would think. Do police officers carry guns there, like we do here?
1: No, you have you do, but those are those are special units. Those are you don't not not in the same way as in the U.S. No,
0: not only because you do leadership, you're empowering a police officer while you're telling them how to empower a child so how does that find that fascinating because you're empowering both sides you're teaching people how to empower themselves and as well as others
1: it's very true you're very right when you have first of all police officers are human beings they have family they have fear they have doubt they they lack confidence they sometimes don't enjoy their working environment they might not have great teammates So all the other stuff that people deal with on a day-to-day basis, police officers are dealing with that and also even probably more. When I started working with officers, I realized, because before I just think I was thinking police officers are just out there looking for bad people.
0: And when I started working with police officers, I realized police officers are actually saving life or
1: stopping that young woman from committing suicide or reaching a um, getting to a building because and, and rescuing a woman that was being physically abused or going through domestic violence and a police officer. Um, I'm helping out an alcoholic to work with an agency that would help them get up alcohol. And they are doing all of these different things. And I had, I never had an understanding of that. Yes. I've never known that this happens in my mind. And I'm sure with a lot of people's heads, if they see a police officer driving by, they're just looking for somebody to put in the car. So that's not usually what it is in most cases. What I've realized is that in my conversations with them, because really and truly my job is to create the platform for them to reflect. To reflect on their day, to reflect on their interactions with their colleagues, with the world. And from those reflections, they come up with ways that they could be better people. And the more they become better people, the better police officers they become.
0: Yes. The better
1: police officers they become, the bigger the impact they'll have in communities that they police.
0: Now, do you work with them right out of the academy or during the academy?
1: I work with them. um, They have a a two-year program that they go through. So I work with them throughout that whole two-year program.
0: To me, it seems like two years is a good amount of time to go through this leadership process as well. I don't know if we offer that here. That would be interesting to find out.
1: I'm not sure if it happens there. By the way, this is not something that's available to, I'm sure, forces around the country, I'm sure in the U.S., they probably have leadership programs and things of that nature, I'm sure they have those things available Mm -hmm. over here. Police officers, first of all, have to go through a policing degree, which is two years. And they do that degree full on whilst they're also policing full time. Also, it's very difficult. So
0: they're doing both of them at the same time. Both at the same time. Oh, I thought it was like they went there and did two years and then they became a police officer.
1: Nah, so they're doing it at the same time. So they're doing these two things at the same time. So they're having a two year, very intense um, program where they're growing, they're learning, they're reflecting, they're studying. They're also being involved in academic work. They're also being involved in one-to-one personal coaching, having reflective sessions, having skill sessions and communication and things of that nature, and still being police officers. If they're not active, then they can't reflect. If they're active, then you can have the conversation on what, what what, what was your day like yesterday? How was it like last week? Who did you speak to last week? You know, what did you do?
0: I would be very interested in finding out how it is here. I don't know enough. I would like to know, too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's going to be another interview. <laughs> you know, see, go to uh, the police department and say, hey, in London, they do this. What is happening? Because I'm sure there's some leadership, but I don't know if it would be required, like a two-year program like you have. But I know there's got to be something. I don't know if I could ever be a police officer.
1: You know, one thing I like about what I'm seeing now is that the people that are looking to be police officers are people like you and me, people that want to make a change.
0: Wow, that would be They're not really going nice. There because,
1: that's what I'm saying. They're not going there because they want to be. And I, and I, I think a lot of police officers go into policing because they want to make a difference.
0: Do you think they just get swallowed up by the philosophies or the culture?
1: There's a very strong culture in policing, a very, very strong culture. And also you do have the few who like any other organization that have a different objective and and a different motivation for what they do, right? You're always going to, you're always going to have that. I have hope when I see people like you join the police, for example, Mm -hmm. because I know you're joining because you want to have an impact. You're joining because you want to have a conversation that would change lives, that you're more excited about the young child or the young girl that you would pick up and have a conversation with. And elevate them, then you would be running to them to give them to put them on costs. What I do see videos of police officers in the U.S. Police officers that have built great relationship with a young person in the neighborhood, and they play sports with them, and do stuff with them, and mentor them. That's amazing. Now that's leadership. That's policing in its finest.
0: What I see is, in order for everything to work, there has to be transparency and. You really have to care, it, regardless if you're a police officer, a politician, an artist, a regular person that goes and works nine to five. There has to be an opening and a wanting to understand, yeah. because I think that makes us more accepting of others, because we yeah. basically all want the same thing. We all yeah. want to feel safe. We all want to have a home. We all want to have food on the table.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, and, and basically it comes right down to feeling safe. Because a police officer wants to feel safe when he goes out on the street.
1: Exactly.
0: Someone wants to feel safe when they come across a police officer. Exactly. So it's something about safety. I find that in culture, there's a lot of fear instilled in people. Even simple things like advertising. If you don't buy a certain product, you know, you're not going to look good. Or if you don't have state-of-the-art a security system for your home, you're going to get burglarized. Best thing to do is not have a lot. You don't have to worry about getting bronzerized. I think that's what it comes down to, basically. So what do you feel about... I find we're changing from a fear-based society more into an uh, introspective society. What have you
1: found? Mm, That's that's an interesting one. I've never really thought about that before. I think the fear thing is real. I think the fear thing is really real. I mean, if, if you look around, even with this pandemic how nations started closing their their borders and working in isolated manners instead of working together. You look at Brexit, the UK leaving the rest of the European Union. You look at your last president, for example. People really feed on fear. People really feed on fear. Mm -hmm. And I think that the last couple of years, for me in particular, I think it's been heightened. I think it's been heightened by different things, the virus, um, politics, and so, so many other things. And I think that a lot of people have, um, have fed on that energy. You still do have a good number of people, of course, who are introspective and who are open-minded and who are proactive, who are the people that happen to things and don't believe that and don't allow things to just happen to them. You, you do have that. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's why we're having these conversations, because we, we want to empower people to understand that they can happen to things. And not just wait for things to happen to them, and that they can that they can exist in love, and they can exist in creation and peace, and not necessarily in fear, because fear holds you back.
0: Yeah, it holds you way back.
1: Holds you way back. Love frees you. It empowers you. Gives you a platform. I see. I see fear. Fear like this. I see fear as uh, being on the table, like a cat running on the table because the cat hears the vacuum machine going off. Yes. I see love and empowerment as being on top of a table. Right. And
0: so that's where we go for safety.
1: Under the table is where the cat runs for safety. You know, you hear, oh, that's a migrant, that's an immigrant. You run for, oh, afraid, oh, god, they're coming here with this. You go under the table like a cat. You know, um, you hear, oh, we're gonna have a democratic uh, president. Oh my god, it's go under the table. It's gonna be bad for everybody now. You go under the table. It's kind of, it's funny, really, right? It's because when something, you when you think something is a problem, you don't run away and go under the table. You face it, and one way you face it is by trying to understand it. Usually what happens in society society is that people become afraid of something Mm -hmm. and they run away from it by going under the table. And what I mean by that is they don't seek to understand it.
0: Well, it's fearful. You think if you hide that it'll go away and it doesn't go away. It's facing it. Wanting to understand, I think, is the biggest thing. And being grateful is another thing. I was guilty of wanting stuff. I mean, granted, I kind of lost that quite a few years ago. But I was guilty of wanting stuff. I wanted a big house. I wanted all of this. And when I started practicing gratitude, Mm. I realized I have more than enough because Mm. really to survive, you need very little. You need food, Mm. you need shelter, and you need money to buy things. But you don't have to be the most rich person. You don't have to. It's not a contest. If you're always running a contest, you're never going to be fulfilled. Yeah, always competing against someone. Or the only one you should compete against is yourself. Where were you last time? Can you improve that?
1: Yeah, I think that I think that's a very powerful that's a very powerful point, Sonia, because sometimes I don't know we really get carried away with adding on instead of becoming. Yes, you know what I mean. Uh, let me get the new watch. Let me get the new iPhone. Let me get the new shoe, and then we spend very little time on who are we becoming, because when you're focused on who you're becoming as a person. All those other things on the external become secondary.
0: It's really weird because I wanted to get certain things. And then when I really thought about it, I'm like, do I really even need it? I would just <laughs> I would just be spending money replacing something I already have that works just fine. Yeah. And then it's a new toy for two weeks, a month and you're having fun with it. Then it's like, ah, oh, now I got to store it. <laughs> so now you're paying valuable real estate <laughs> storing your stuff. Yeah, you know, so it's it, you move from a little apartment to a bigger apartment and have more stuff. Yeah. I rather instead of spending money on material things, my philosophy has shifted. It's gotten more into where can I travel? What can mm-hmm. I experience in life? Where can mm-hmm. I go? Because let's face it, some phones are ridiculously expensive. You could buy a computer cheaper than buying a phone. Yeah, I rather have something that works. That's good quality because I want to use the pictures in the video, but travel, just discover the yeah. world, because when everything is said and done, what are you going to do on your deathbed? Oh, I had that wonderful refrigerator or I had, you know, a nice apartment. That's not what you're going to remember. You're going to remember your memories. You're going to remember how you lived your life.
1: Think about this, right? If you were in a mansion, multi-million dollar, whatever, how much million, Yeah. hundred million dollar mansion. And you're there by yourself with a glass of champagne. How long could you do that for? Just by yourself. Yeah. You would need all of those things around there. The chandeliers, the expensive tables, the champagne. All of that stuff would have no meaning. Absolutely no meaning without the presence of people. Exactly. And peace of mind. And peace of mind.
0: Yeah, because when I, I used to be a super people person. I had to be around people all the time. But then I realized this because, hey, am I not wanting to be by myself? which one is it? And what I realized is that I really like my own company. I get to yeah. think I get to discover who I am, but mm-hmm. I want to go out and be with people. I love in like, that's why I love this podcast. I love doing it. Cause I get to, now I get to talk to people from all over the world. Like you, yeah. <laughs> there has to be that communication. There's a sense of belonging when you have that communication. And I think people like you and me, we need to give, but at the same time, we also receive by giving. There's a fulfillment in giving.
1: Yeah. A seed has to give off a tree for it to have any meaning in the first place. True. So I see myself like a seed. I'm planting myself in this conversation. Yes. And by planting that by planting myself in this conversation, we'll have trees. Me and you right now, we're planting a seed. We are seeds. And from those trees, It will bear fruits from those fruits. It will give nutrients from those nutrients. It will make babies from those babies. It will make doctors and scientists and innovators and mothers and fathers. That's how I see it.
0: It's true. And if I can get just one person to think about their own lives, to ask themselves Mm -hmm. questions, I'm not telling people what to do. I don't Mm -hmm. think that's a way of making an influence in people, but I'm giving you the options to listen to others, Mm -hmm. to Get your own opinion. But if you plant a seed that you are okay and things can be okay and Mm -hmm. follow your soul, yeah. I don't think your soul lies. You're right. Your mind will tell you all kinds of stuff. (laughs) But
1: yeah, you know, you know, it's so powerful. You said that about not telling people what to do. Someone said to me one time. The egg needs to be cracked from within. If it cracks from outside, it means it's dead and it's on your frying pan somewhere. I like that. (laughs) If it cracks from within, it means that the chicken is alive.
0: It's and it's sprouting
1: Exactly. So if we give people the seed and we give people an option and an opinion and a viewpoint, something to think about, we're giving them something to crack their own eggs.
0: Right. And at least it's a positive There's people out there that are really spewing hate and bigotry and conspiracy theories, even though some of those have come true that people talked about in the 50s were actually true. But you don't know what's true right now.
1: You don't know. I try to keep myself very balanced with what do I need to know right now, right now? What do I need to know right now? Where do I need to be right now? I don't concern myself. I'm aware of what's happening, Mm -hmm. but I don't indulge in it to the expense of what's happening right now and knowing what's happening right now. Literally, right now, being here with you, having this conversation, being in my house, I have my family around. I'm dealing with that right now. That's what I'm excited about right now. Every part of my life till this day was for right now. That's how I see it. That's good. Right? When people come to me with, you know, I mean, during the whole COVID 19 when it kicked off, you heard, I was hearing all kinds of stories. And one thing I had to remind myself of was it's not just what people say, but it's who's saying it. There's this saying, I don't know if you've heard this saying before, um, the messenger is not the message. Have you, have you heard that saying before mm-hmm. the messengers not the message? I really question that sometimes because I'm really thinking, how can the brand selling the shoe, what's the difference what's the difference between the brand selling the shoe and the shoe? The shoe is the brand. The brand is the shoe. The messenger is the message. The message is the messenger. Like there are certain things you would only allow certain people to deliver because they are the people that have the responsibility or have the personality or the branding or the intelligence or whatever you might call it to deliver that particular thing. So that automatically ties them with that particular message. So one thing that that I was telling myself during this whole lockdown when I was hearing stories was who is telling me this information? When somebody comes with a conspiracy, who are you that's giving me this information? Mm-hmm. What experience do you have? Where have you been? Who have you sat with? Where did you get your information from? Where did you do your research from? Because if I don't, after I ask those questions, from those answers, I will know how much effort I need to invest into what you're saying.
0: You know, I did the same thing. Because I had one person say that, oh, this is the biggest conspiracy that we don't, nobody's dying from COVID. I had COVID.
1: Oh. <laughs> did you? Did you get? I had it really bad. Me and my wife had COVID really bad. I couldn't walk for a week.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. See, look. And so people saying that it doesn't exist. Really? We had New York got hit first. They had ice trucks that they were normally do meat, and they were putting people in there because there was nowhere to put all these dead bodies. We had to go through the same thing in Los Angeles. We had to refrigerate all these dead bodies, but it does exist the whole world would not lock down if it was a lie because to lock to close down a country i mean think about the the magnitude of that to close down an entire country there's got to be some truth to it it can't be a conspiracy
1: so when it's as simple as me it's as simple as me having it right here on this podcast yes i had it I, I know people that die. One of my childhood friends died from it. He was only 33 years old. Oh my God, that's so young. Right? Yeah. So when you when things like this are going on and people are busy proving their point, for me, it says that they have very little concern about the lives of people. Because the time you're spending to prove a point, you could use that, that time to empower others and save lives. You could prove your point later. Yes. When, when people deny, we saw that in Brazil, when people deny the things that are affecting people and turn a blind eye to it, for me, is a way of saying you don't want to understand it, and you don't want to take the responsibility of dealing with it.
0: No. And here in Los Angeles, sir, they wanted to open up the restaurants no matter what. But I have a friend, her family owns a restaurant. They switched it, real, the thinking very quickly. They said, well, we're going to go to online. We're going to go to takeout only. They never hurt at all financially when they did that. And people just didn't want to shift that, you know, it's only temporary. It wasn't a lifelong issue. I knew, granted, I didn't think it was going to last a year. But I thought it was something that was going to last at least six months. I just didn't think it was going to last as long as it did. But now it's really tapering off. Now we're going, and it makes me wonder, why is it that every hundred years we get some kind of plague you look at history and there's always something that comes is it to teach us is it to is it nature's way of making us immune for the future I don't know what causes yeah. these plagues? Because now we actually have built up an immunity to this.
1: Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. You know I don't it, know. That's a, that's, nature, that's a tough one. And
0: yeah, nature works, I think, <laughs> in mysterious ways. But it's something that happens. And when this person said to me that I think this is a hoax, I said, well, one, you're in the middle of nowhere. It's probably not going to hit you. We're in a major city now. It's pretty bad. No country would closed down we're not the only country that's closing down and where did you get your information that you think this is a hoax that's what i'm saying
1: most people that speak most people speak of things they don't understand and most people speak of things they have no proof of when people say that to me i just say how where did you get that information from yeah when you usually ask that question they instantly become defensive and yes say, yeah where did you get that where did you get it from where did you get it from i always want to know where's your source
0: right who have
1: you sat with what, what um, private government meetings have you been at? I would like to know.
0: Yeah, and it's the same thing because I they said, oh, you know that the hospitals are saying it's COVID because they get more government money. And I'm like, well, where did you? I like to read up on that. i like to know more about it. Where is it? And they didn't have an answer for me.
1: Yeah, it's all noise.
0: Yeah, they didn't have... Because if that's been proven, I would really like to check it out.
1: Yeah, it's all noise.
0: Nothing to refer me to. Yeah, Not, you know? it's all noise. Yeah, it is noise.
1: It, it's all noise. But going back to your point about, uh, you know, a pandemic or something like this happening every 100 years or, or so probably happens less than that in different parts of the world is that this one happened to affect the whole world. So we're all aware. Right. I think what the lesson from it is this, that you can make anything out of anything. And that some people saw this as a lockdown and they're in the house. I saw it as a retreat. I saw it as a time to empower myself, a time for me to write more, create more videos. I wrote and created more poems, more than I've ever done in my entire life during this time. So that's definitely not what was not a lockdown for me. I get it for people who lost their life and that's sad. But if you're alive and you're healthy and you're okay, this was was a time for you to spend time with yourself. The world is basically paused and started walking. it has been running 100 miles an hour for years, and I was just slowed down for you to catch up, for you to be aware, for you to be aware of what's important. Is it the 100 million dollar house? Is it time with family? Is it friends? Is it time alone? Is it with your thoughts? Is it time to seek a therapist? What is it? So I think it's been a very interesting time, but most importantly, it's been a it's been a life changing and a life lesson for me just being to witnessing this era.
0: For me, I was blessed. None of my family got sick. I have elderly parents. And they made it through that. So I was more concerned about the other people. I felt that I don't have pre-existing conditions. If I got sick, I would probably get really sick, but I don't think I would die. But I found it as a great time in terms of me. I mean, it was horrible that so many people died, but in terms of my life, I was able to think more. I didn't do as much writing as I thought I was because I'm like, woohoo, I get to go home and write. I didn't (sighs) really do any of that, I did more introspective thinking, Mm. like, what do I want? What is really important to me? And I thought it was a great life lesson for me. Mm -hmm. I was able to think about what I really wanted, what I didn't want. I became a meditation teacher on Inside Timer. Nice. Yeah, I stopped fighting who I was, because I've been an actor forever. And
1: Sorta, yeah.
0: Yeah, and (laughs) I changed my perception. Yeah. To I'm not gonna make a living off of this. I accept that. The same thing that was happening before I decided that Mm -hmm. is still happening. So I'm so happy with my new thoughts. I still love acting. I'll still do it if it comes my way. But I find that my purpose. I think that's what happened. I found my purpose.
1: Mm. I
0: think my purpose isn't helping others so how can I help others working my personality into it yeah and talking to people that are inspiring like yourself who are out there I think that that's works with my personality it works with my personality it works with my being who I am as a person yeah there's no conflict right
1: now that's that's it that's powerful what you just said that's, that is so powerful. I'm going to have to write that down. No conflict with self. Yes. That is so powerful. Clarity, yeah. That's powerful.
0: Yeah. It, it really makes a difference. And my life has not changed. I'm still doing the same things I was before the pandemic. But my perception changed. And it became more accepting. So that's what the pandemic did for me.
1: It's amazing what can happen within a very short period of time in silence.
0: Yes. In silence, you have that little voice that's your soul or your higher self or your inner guide or whatever you want to call it. If you quiet the mind, it speaks, but with the hustle yeah. and bustle and always trying to get to the next point And, you know, I have to get to a and B and C it shuts it down. It, it quiets it. It muffles it. Whereas yeah. during the pandemic, it was allowed to speak. It was my inner thoughts were allowed to come out. My being was allowed to come out and I was hoping Since I went through that, I know a lot of people that also had the same emotions and feelings that I did. But then I find that there's the opposite happened. So you either had introspective or anger. Yeah, there was a strong dichotomy.
1: I think um, silence is, there has to be a balance for sure. Silence is not being, it's not about being necessarily being alone. Mm -hmm. Silence is about being in touch with self. And being in in big cities i mean la is massive i've never been to la la is a giant i can only imagine from from london and how busy london is how it must be being out there because even in london you get so carried away with waking up in the morning going to work being on the train it's packed it's jammed busy you have things on your mind you come home you eat you have you have time for very little and then you up again the next day the weekend comes by goes by very quickly and then you're wrapped up in the you built up habits and 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 ways of thinking that you don't you didn't even realize you've done you built
0: you don't even realize they're yours they're actually half of them are not even yours they're they're what you grew up with that's what your work culture is things that's what your friends think. think it's when you really get quiet you're like wow i used to think this way but in reality i never experienced anything to make me think that way so I must yeah. have learned that from somebody else.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course, of of course. When you are busy just downloading, you know, like it's like your phone is on, you know, automatic download updates automatically. That's that you're in that same frame of mind where you're just downloading things. You see things downloading. Somebody comes with a conspiracy theory, you download. You go to work, your manager say something negative, you download. You know, your your boyfriend or husband say something horrible, you download. You just download, 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 download. and eventually. You, don't, you become something else and you don't even realize you're something else. A lot of us are walking, walking around, but we're a different person and we don't even realize the kind of person we've become. And that's why I say leadership is about who you're becoming, because to be aware of who you're becoming, you need to be engaged in active re- reflection.
0: A lot of people don't want to know themselves, though. They're like, oh, no, no, I don't want to face that. I don't want to know who I am. I just want to be told what to do. They don't want to do the self-reflecting because it's hard. Because there are times when you self-reflect and you realize you're not the person you thought you were. And that is scary because then who are you? And you have to go through all those steps to discover who you are. But at the end, there's so much peace in knowing who you are and knowing and accepting yourself that that anxiety or depression just dissipates
1: because now you know. Yeah, now you know. You see, the thing about reflection, reflection is not to put yourself down. Reflection is to elevate yourself. And what I mean by elevating yourself is recognizing that what you did now and yesterday, you could do better. It's not about putting yourself down. It's about using your past to create a different future, a better future. Yes. It's about using it as a, as a mirror. You put your makeup on and you go in the mirror and you realize, oh, I need to I need to smooth this out a bit more. And you go and you do that. That's exactly what reflection is supposed to do. It's different from worrying. It's different from putting yourself down and killing your spirit. And that's why it's good to For me, reflection has to be aligned with positivity. Sometimes I might be angry and I might react in the type of way or a driver on the road. And I will come home and I will pause and I'll ask myself, why did I react that way? Was there any need? Am I aware of what that driver is coming from? Maybe that driver just had a news that someone died. I don't know that information. Yes. How does that Would that have changed my reaction if I was aware of that? So reflection is really having this great sense of awareness of self and what's around you to the best of your abilities. But most importantly, it's not about putting down or putting yourself down. It's about elevating yourself. It gives you the tools and it gives you the awareness to be like, I can be better. I can speak to that person better.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. But yet we have these little demons that say, no, you're not. Or, you know, you did this. I, you know, in 2005, you did this. We've repeated so much in our heads. I think when we start getting what scares people about self-reflecting is that now they have to face those little demons. And those little demons were just stuff that they told themselves. It really has no... If you're able to see it was just something that you created in your own head, or it was something that you repeated constantly, and so you made it a truth instead of not.
1: It's very true. A lot of things that we have inside our heads are stories that we've told ourselves or somebody else has informed or influenced us with. And... The reflective piece allows us to be aware of what our thoughts are, what is ours and what is not ours, what is beneficial and what's not beneficial. It's okay to be aware of the things that happened in the past that we're not happy about. It's okay that is okay. That's just what being alive means. Like at least I, I when that happens I just say I'm thankful I'm alive that I, I can even reflect on that and I, now I can create a different history.
0: It's true because I went through a traumatic experience and I told somebody about it and they said oh my God, poor you. I mean, that you're so unlucky. And I'm like, unlucky? I survived. I think I'm pretty damn lucky. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not that I know what the lesson in that was to learn, but I can share it now. And yeah. I think if anything, if that little lesson, no, it wasn't a little lesson, it was a big lesson. But that <laughs> lesson that I learned, if I can share it and let people yeah. know that maybe it was just, something I experienced to be able to tell somebody so that they're yeah. aware. I didn't think of myself as unlucky at all. It's like, you know, yeah. I, I was chased down with a gun and I survived. So, oh, wow. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, Well, it's a long story. So one of these days I'll let you know about it. <laughs> I feel like I'm protected. I feel extremely lucky because of all the things that I've been through in my life. I don't think of them as a punishment. At one yeah. point I might have, but I think of them as, wow, I've been through a lot, but yet I made it through yeah. and I'm safe and sound and I feel blessed. Yes. I feel blessed. And, and who,
1: who has it made you become? Who has it made you become?
0: Which is weird because some people feel like I, I've talked with others and they get traumatic and then now they're angry. With me, it's like, okay, what did I have to learn from this? I think I have to share it. I think that I have to let people know it's okay. Yeah, That's the only thing I can think of because I don't know. I couldn't find a direct lesson with me. I couldn't think of what lesson directly was I supposed to learn from it. I think it was something that I needed to share and let others feel that you're really lucky when you survive something. Look at it at the the other standpoint. Some people feel guilty that they survive, especially with soldiers when other people in their platoon die and they survive. So they have survivor's remorse or whatever it's actually called. Mm. There was a reason you did there. You need to turn that around and make it something better. How can you help society with what you experienced?
1: That's powerful because you are about happening to things and not just letting things happen to you. Yes. And you are about making a reason reason out of things and not just letting things make a reason out of you.
0: Yeah, I refuse to be a victim. That's what I'm
1: saying, right? So for me, my I apply that across everything that I do. I understand that things can happen to me, but I can equally also happen to things. I am not a victim because in victimhood, there's no empowerment. Correct. So I have this same mindset. I think that's the mindset we need going forward as people, um, as a global community, is this mindset that we can happen to things. And that takes us away from the point you were making earlier on at the start of the conversation, away from fear, because when people are in fa- fear, it's because they think things will happen to them. Yes. When you believe that you can happen to things, you're not in fear. You're aware, but you're not in fear. So I think that's the mindset that that would really push us to the next level, and, and I think it will really push us into greatness. Just just believing that we can happen to things and things. Things don't always have the power to happen to us.
0: I find when you are a victim or you allow yourself to be a victim, you gave away your power and your own power is all you have. So when you have fear or you have biases or materialism is very important to you, there's a, a fear, but then you're giving away your power.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Victim when you give away your power. Yeah. yeah. Right.
0: Yes, because we become victims to our possessions. We become victims to our friends. We become victims to violence. But thinking that you're a victim, you you just gave away your power and your power is the only thing you really own. So you can't give yeah. away your power. And I think if people understand that by allowing themselves to stay a victim, they actually are handing over their power. You're, you're handing over your power to a past experience that's not here right now. Yeah. I think that that is something people need to feel empowered, but empowered yeah. within themselves, not empowered by feeling they could take power away from others or a voice away from others. It's their own power that they need to fill.
1: I think that's, um, I think that is, that's powerful. What you just said is really powerful. When you're in victimhood, you're handing over your power. That's really powerful.
0: Thank you. I find that with probably what you're teaching the police officers, you're empowering them at the same time.
1: I hope the conversations I'm having with them uh, allows them to see how much power they have within. I really hope so, because that's that's what I can do, is to have those conversations. Uh, And that's what I do outside of police. I'm working with police officers, too, is even were my wife or anybody that's around me is to have those conversations that would allow them to see the power that's, with, that's within them.
0: When we get angry or frustrated is because we feel that someone's taking our power. Yeah. I think we fight when we think our power is being taken away from us, even if it's a really small little thing. And actually the little things is what sets us off. It's not yeah. the big things. The big things kind of make us be, we're in shock at first. That wow, this actually happened. And wow, I'm, I'm alive still, but it's the little things that set us off that reflect on those, the big incidents, we think that those things are going to happen again. Yeah, in closing, do is there anything that you would like to tell our audience? I mean, this has been a wonderful, and I think you're great, and I'm so looking forward to your album release. What? Would, thank you, oh, thank yeah. you. What would you like to tell the audience?
1: I would say, I think you touched on really powerful points here today, Sony as well. I think the two things that really stood out to me that I'd like to talk, uh, elaborate on again is, don't hand over your power. And the second one is, take the time to be reflective. Don't be afraid to reflect. Don't be afraid to give yourself a chance to be a better, better you have those conversations, meet those people, don't live in a box. The world is too big to live in the box. And what I mean by that is, don't just believe in your ways of seeing things and your own mindsets and your own, uh, and your own approach and think that's it and all of it. There's so much more out there. Um, and one way you will experience the world is by experiencing those different viewpoints and those different, from those different interactions, you will find different sides to you. So I believe every conversation is like key that, that can open a door inside of you that you don't even know you have in the first place. Um, but yeah, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. I hope I was able to add some value.
0: Oh, no, it's great. It, I love the way it just it morphed into different things as we talk. Yeah. As I'm interviewing you, I'm like, wow, this is going to be a really long interview. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it's like, I don't know where to edit because it's such a good interview, you know? So I really appreciate <laughs> You're being on the show. Thank you so much, and Thank you. anytime. Yes. Anytime. How can people reach you if they need to reach you?
1: Um, just search I am Lindani. Um, I am an L I N D A N I, and they can find me on Google. Um, not Google. Just Google Google it, and you will see it on Twitter. You will find it on um, Instagram. Where else? Um, Facebook, on YouTube. Facebook. <laughs> I'm not really big on TikTok, but I'm learning. I, I just uh, there's so much, but um, but the main one. Uh, I think t- to be in touch with my work and what I'm doing is my website at IamLindan.com. Please subscribe, send me an email, reach out. Um, I love having this conversation. So but thank you. This has been so good.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Poetic Resurrection podcast, available on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, and many other podcast platforms. Please visit us and subscribe to our newsletter at PoeticResurrection.com for the latest information and updates.